I'm here today with Jim Henderson, who's one of the members of the investment team at Aristotle Capital Management. They're the managers of the St. James's Place North American Fund. Jim, perhaps we could start by describing the investment team at Aristotle. Sure, thanks. Um, we now have a 10-member investment team, and, and each member of the investment team is charged with the responsibility of creating the portfolio that we're eventually going to implement in our, for our clients' um, assets. Um, my responsibility within that, uh, that team is to take part in the discussions as we go through that process of vetting new ideas, talking about the issues that we, we currently have in the portfolio, and how that ultimately uh, ends up in an investment model that we create, headed by Howard Gleischer. And how does that mean the research responsibilities are split up between you and your colleagues? Most of us um, are assigned uh, specific industry coverage. We do it from a global perspective. We consider all of us um, as global generalists. So we follow all companies regardless of where they get their mail, what, whatever country of, of domicile is. Um, and we do it from an industry perspective. When we do that specifically for economies of scale, if you're going to look at a chemical company in the U.S., you, you should look at them all. Um, so all of our analysts are asked then follow specific industries. You describe your approach as a, as a value approach to investment management. St. James Place has got other value managers on its investment platform. What do you think differentiates you and your approach? I think we're a little different than, than many value managers you might come in, into contact with in that our process does not start nor stop with valuation. Now, valuation is an important part of, of what we do, and, and it has to be there, but it really starts with the business. And we, we, we talk about it internally as the smile test. If you, if you think about um, uh, a business and the quality of the business first, that's the starting point. And then you move down the smile to valuation and end with business catalysts. So valuation is important. And you know, we don't want a frown or a smirk. We want this smile test. So you've got a very high quality business that's appropriately valued where there are multiple catalysts that we see for change that will make this great business a good investment. I know you described that as the value chain. Can you explain what that means in practice? Yeah, one of our, our, our portfolio managers recently went on a trip to uh, uh, Australia and, and visited a farm where they took uh, a demonstration of sheep shearing. And as uh, the sheep is shorn and, and the wool is carted off and taken to eventually end up in a suit, or maybe two, um, the, the, the owner of the sheep gets about $85 for um, the wool that's being taken apart and it ends up in a suit that's going to retail for somewhere around $1,500. So there's a value chain there. And if you look at it from the perspective of what we determine to be a quality business, the quality business is that part of that value chain that is capturing the vast majority of that value chain. I think another good example of that is the airline industry. If, uh, if I'm going to take a flight and I spend four or $500 for an airline ticket, where is that four or $500 going? down the value chain. It's not going to the air carriers. The air carriers are getting zero and sometimes negative um, uh, participation in that value chain. It really goes down the line into the airline manufacturers, parts, service, things like that. That's the value chain. That's where the vast majority of the value that's being derived in an industry is coming from. That's part of the process that we use to determine what's a quality business. Quality business is one that has a competitive advantage that's clear and sustainable within that value chain.
It's interesting that you should talk about quality, Jim, because I know the portfolio's got a reasonable exposure to stocks in the financial sector, and a lot of people wouldn't associate quality with financials. Perhaps you could help us understand why you've got an overweight in that sector. Well, interestingly enough, prior to the financial crisis in 2008, we were very much underweighted in financials and banks in particular. We felt like at that point in time, they were over-earning that on a normalized basis, that the experience that they were having prior to 2008 was kind of an above average type of an earning uh, ability for them. That's not the case now, and certainly you know, post-financial crisis. Um, you know, I think the banks in the US as opposed to the banks in Europe probably caught cold first and then started to recover first. There is, if you think about it, in, in the way that a bank operates, in, in creating loans and, and, and assets that, that a bank has, if there's going to be a problem with a loan that's originated, it's going to happen within the first five years. Typically, if you get past the five-year anniversary, there's not going to be a problem. So think about the contagion starting in 2008 in the US. We're pretty much past that right now, where banks are starting to recover. Regulations have increased. Capital ratios have increased. Banks have gotten much healthier than they were prior to that. Now, Europe may be lagging a little bit in that, and there's still some pain to be felt there. But in the US, I think we're pretty much through that. You've talked about US banks and your exposure to them in the portfolio. Can you help us understand why you have exposure to those companies at this time and, and, and may, at some point in the future perhaps, look towards other parts of the global economy? It is. And, and if you look at demographics, just take a step back and say, okay, where, where are the, uh, the growing economies? Um, where are the demographics more favorable than they are in, in some of the developed world? I think about you know, 20 or 30 years ago when the, the financial crises, the, the currency crises that, that we would have on almost an ongoing basis were all found in the developing world. It seemed like Brazil every five years was having a currency crisis. Argentina every five years was having a currency crisis. That seems to have switched, that we're seeing more currency crisis now in the developed world and less in the developing world. Um, secondarily, and I mentioned the demographics, if you look at populations in those uh, economies, much younger, much more diverse, um, growing economies, growing populations, uh, those are kind of areas that you want to have exposure to going forward. Even in Europe, I mean, I was just visiting Croatia in, in November, and there's a very, very vibrant young population about to enter the EU um, that uh, the economies should do very, very well just based on their demographics. It's interesting, if you look at the performance of developed markets versus emerging markets, the fact that the former have outperformed over the past 18 months, could you help describe how you try and get exposure to developing markets through uh, investments that you're making in North American companies? So uh, m most of the companies that we invest in uh, are global in, in nature. There are very few companies that operate strictly within uh, the confines of the US. Um, one of the recent purchases that, that we uh, have in the portfolio is Walgreens. Um, Walgreens recently uh, entered uh, a partnership with Alliance Boots in the UK, and, and although Alliance Boots is primarily based in, in the UK, they have significant assets throughout the rest of Europe and, and are really growing in emerging markets, and it's one of the things that we really like about uh, that investment. 
there are several others uh, from General Mills to Hershey that are now expanding into um, not just developed markets but developing markets around the world and obviously one of the largest ones uh, that we have is General Electric and, and General Electric has, uh, has operations in over 130 countries and derives revenues from over 160 countries. So they are certainly the epitome of a global approach. I wanted to go on to talk about a couple of companies in the portfolio. The largest uh, holding in the portfolio at the current time is a company called Lenar. I don't think that's a name that would be familiar to a lot of uh, people in the UK. Perhaps you could explain what the company does and why you want to hold it. Now that is one of uh, those few companies that I spoke of that, that is um, uh, exclusively a US-based business. They're a home builder. Uh, they are a home builder that throughout the financial crisis has been extremely profitable, is very, very well managed. They've been able to really conserve and consolidate capital during what has been a very, very difficult and painful time in, in the housing market. Um, one of the things that we like about Lennar that they have the ability to do that many haven't is that they've worked very closely with the federal government as we've gone through the financial crisis and, and banks have gotten into trouble uh, and the federal government has found themselves as the owner of properties that are in various stages of development and they need to liquidate them and, and either finish the project or, or sell them off. Uh, Lennar through one of their subsidiaries is one of the very few con uh, companies uh, in the U.S. that, that are, an, are able to do that. And, and have the expertise to do that. They've done it in the past and it's been very profitable for them. So as we've gone through this housing crisis, and we seem to be coming out of it now in certain areas of, of the country, um, uh, real estate prices are starting to improve. Uh, the overhang of, of inventory is starting to be worked down. Um, right now, Lennar's got uh, their return on equity back to where it was prior to the, to, to the financial crisis. And Chris, you're right, it is our largest position in the portfolio. And it's gotten there um, uh, predominantly because it's performed so well. eBay is also a large holding, Jim. Um, I'd be interested to know, again, why you want to hold that, but also in terms of the comparison versus Google and Amazon.com. I think there's one, one big difference between eBay and, and Amazon, and it's, it's, it's mobile computing, it's mobile devices. If we think about really the business that eBay's in, and it's very similar to the business that Amazon is in, for um, a consumer to make a purchase on Amazon, it's predominantly you're sitting at home in front of your computer and you're making a purchase, where now we all have smartphones that have access to eBay, and we can do it throughout the day or, or at work or wherever we are uh, to be able to access your eBay account and, and, and mobile computing and smartphones has really been a game changer for eBay. So finally, Jim, US equities have performed really well over the past year and a half. Um, could you help us understand whether you still feel positive both about the US economy and the US stock market? Yes, we do. And, and when, uh, when you look at really the tenets of our process, it is very long-term oriented. We're less concerned what's happening over the next quarter or two and more concerned what's happening over the next three, five, seven, and 10 years. I talked about demographics, talked about the economies growing over long periods of time and, and the factors that go into that. We're, we're very big believers that by focusing on very high quality businesses that we think have a clear competitive advantage that will be sustainable over a long period of time is the first reason why we're very comfortable with where the portfolio is positioned. Um, secondarily, from the standpoint of portfolio construction, it's a focused portfolio. 
we don't need 90 or 100 companies to find and, and, and buy and hold in the portfolio. We need about 40. Uh, by being focused yet diversified, um, that allows that, that underlying stock picking ability to, to really add value. And, and lastly, and we monitor this over long periods of time, um, where we are in terms of our discount to what our appraisal of fair value is. And although it's a little stretched from where it was maybe 18 months ago, the portfolio still on a portfolio-wide basis is, is about 25% undervalued from our appraisal of, of normalized business value. So we're very comfortable and, and optimistic about the future. Jim, I thought that was a really interesting conversation. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Any views and opinions expressed are solely those of the individuals and are subject to change. Where individual securities are mentioned, they do not necessarily represent a specific portfolio holding and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase or sell. Please be aware that past performance is not indicative of future performance. The value of an investment may fall as well as rise and you may get back less than you invested. Returns on equities cannot be guaranteed. Equities do not provide the security of capital characteristic of a deposit with a bank or building society.